from phx.fm. This is Conversation with the Rabbi, featuring open, honest dialogue and sometimes unconventional perspectives on the world we all share. Welcome to another Conversation with the Rabbi. I'm Adrian McIntyre, joined as always by the host of this show, Rabbi Michael Bayo, CEO of the East Valley JCC. Hi, Rabbi Bayo. How are you, Adrian? Thank you for being here with us. Well, thank you. You are the reason for the show and for these conversations. I'm inspired by your commitment as both a religious leader, but also a businessman to make conversation a central part of our contemporary life. That's something we believe profoundly in. It's a commitment that I know you share. We're joined for this conversation by Craig Carden, who is the stake president of the Queen Creek, Arizona West Stake of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome, Craig. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for being here. You lead a community that is complex, multifaceted, historical, and here in the contemporary world, navigating many of the things that other communities of faith or communities of commitment are facing. Why don't you start off this conversation with a bit of a background on you on the Queen Creek, Arizona, West Stake of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Kind of get us into the world for folks who may not be familiar with who you are, who you serve, and how that all plays out. Thank you. Well, first, let me let me just say what an honor it is to be on this podcast, and I appreciate having been invited. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has approximately 16 million members throughout the world. It is divided into then smaller uh, groups, uh, for, and it's all by, by location. And so, for example, uh, there are thousands of stakes throughout the world, and stakes are made up of several wards. And so, in our stake, as an example, there are eight wards. Each ward is made up of around 300 people and one branch, uh, and, uh, and that's usually a smaller congregation. And so, in our stake, the Queen Creek, Arizona West Stake, there are approximately 2,500 members. And so those are similar numbers. Stakes are usually somewhere around 3,000 members uh, throughout the world and usually have six to 12 wards within a stake. And so as you kind of do that math, you'll see that generally each stake has somewhere around 3,000 members. And so in, in Queen Creek, there are, boy, I should probably know this, but I believe there are somewhere either seven or eight different stakes in just Queen Creek. Uh, Arizona and the East Valley especially seems to have a, a higher concentration of members of the church. And, uh, and it's a, a joy to just be part of the community. Now, you are a member of a worldwide organization with communities, congregations all around the world, delivering programs in over 110 languages. You have some international experience yourself, as do many members of your church. Uh, you, you mentioned before we went on the air that you actually spent some time in the rabbi's hometown of Milano, Italy. Can you talk a little bit about the global dimension of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints? We are taught and we learn from the Savior Jesus Christ that the gospel of Jesus Christ will go throughout the whole world. And that is a, a mandate and something that we pursue as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So much so that uh, young men, when they turn approximately 18, uh, prepare for missions or preparing before that and go on uh, full-time service missions, uh, as well as young women when they're 19 years old. I currently have a son who is serving in Tennessee on a mission, a full-time mission, and a daughter in Pocatello, Idaho. 
Now, they're both uh, stateside at the moment due to the pandemic. Uh, my son was actually originally called to be in Brazil. And, uh, and we're hoping and believing that at some point he'll get there. He just barely started his mission. But I also served a mission, as you mentioned, in Milan, Italy. And, uh, and in these, uh, throughout these missions, these young men and young women dedicate their lives full-time, young men for two years and young women for a year and a half, to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, it is a great blessing and opportunity not only to serve, there are many opportunities to just serve throughout the community that they're in, uh, but also uh, to teach others about, about the gospel as well as become more converted yourself. And if I had to say for me, that was probably one of the greatest blessings for me was just to have my faith uh, strengthened and my testimony grow of what I was teaching. Thank you very much, President Cardin, for being here. Um, you know, I I was completely ignorant of your faith until, you know, I mean, I knew that it existed, but I was ignorant about it um, until I came to um, here, to the East Valley, um, and I met a number of members of your community, Steve Bishop and Reuven Huntington, and then eventually I met uh, President Smith, who became a very, very dear friend of mine. And actually, he will be also a host uh, in our podcast in, in a few weeks to come. My question is, could you tell to those who don't know, tell us a little bit about the history and specifically about the history of persecution of your community? Because a lot of people don't know that in America, uh, in the 1800, I believe it was the 1800, there was Correct. in Missouri... There was a proclamation for ex, uh, extermination of people of your faith. So could you tell us more about that? Yes. Let me start with, uh, with Joseph Smith. Uh, I'm sure you've heard that name. In 1820, he was a, a young boy, approximately 14 years old, who, uh, who was searching to know how could he be saved. And in that time in America, there were many different uh, teachers of religion and many professing, all based on the Bible, different ways uh, that, uh, that someone, what that someone had to do to be saved. And this uh, boy, Joseph, was raised in a, in a religious home and, uh, and uh, desired to know and was taught from the Bible by his parents and desired to know what did he need to do? And so one night he was reading in James chapter one, verse five, where he was taught that if you ask God, he'll answer you. And so that, that at that time, he decided to go and to, and to ask God. And so he went into a grove of trees near his home and prayed. And it was there that he was visited by heavenly father and Jesus Christ and told not to join any of the other churches but instead that through him, the gospel, uh, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ would be restored. And uh, that, uh, that at the time after Christ's death and after the death of all the apostles, there was a time of apostasy where the priesthood authority was taken from the earth and was then was going to be restored and subsequently was restored through Joseph Smith. 
He was also taught uh, later on about another book of scripture that he was led to find golden plates, which then he was uh, helped in translating, the, uh, which is now called the Book of Mormon. And Mormon was the prophet in the, in the Book of Mormon who abridged the plates, kind of put all the writings of the various prophets together, which is why it's called the Book of Mormon. And thus, you've also heard us called Mormons. But you can imagine that with a boy young who has that sort of experience, then goes to share it with the world. And there are many, because of his teachings, uh, even many religious leaders who are not happy with what he's teaching and are not happy with uh, a declaration that there is one true uh, gospel of Jesus Christ to be taught. And, and so the persecution begins. And it is at that time then that the, as, as members of the church, uh, they also, uh, they, they begin to re- live their religion and, are, uh, and have certain views that don't always go along with uh, the political views of the people in the areas. And so are persecuted from uh, going from place to place, including, as you mentioned, Missouri, uh, where an extermination order was given that you could kill a Mormon on site. Uh, and it was with that that the members of the church, and uh, it was after the death, the martyrdom of Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram, uh, they were killed in, uh, in Carthage jail, uh, that, uh, that after that, Brigham Young was the senior apostle and became the leader of the church and directed the saints to go west, which is when they then went to go settle uh, Salt Lake and, and Utah and become, uh, become to establish a people there. You know, I, I know that members of your faith, uh, uh, you view yourself, and, and please correct me if I am expressing it in the wrong way, but you, you view yourself as members of, uh, you know, uh, re- reestablishing the covenant between God and Abraham, right? Correct. And so I know that your temples, for example, are built following the Jewish temple that existed in, in, in Jerusalem and a lot of your practices, uh, a lot of your clothes and practices and rituals are there to retell or rev- relive those practices that existed in the temple in Jerusalem. Is that correct? I would say it, it even to remind us of covenants that we make. And so the practices of the ordinances that we participate in in the temple as well as outside the temple of baptism, of the sacrament on sacrament meetings. Those, those ordinances are where we make and renew covenants with our Heavenly Father. So let me ask you, and this is, you know, it's very, I really appreciate everything that you are explaining for those who are not familiar with your faith. But let me ask you some uh, probing questions. On the one hand, you are a small religion, just like the Jewish people, we are a small religion. But one of our differences is that we don't go out to proselytize. We don't go out on missions to inspire people to become Jewish. And your church does that. And at the same time, you provide a lot of help to anyone irrespective of their faith and, 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 and religion. So how do you, 
reconcile these two approaches that I find within your church. On the one hand, you help everybody. Whoever needs help, you help them. And on the other end, you want to change who they are. Oh, Rabbi, you're being very kind in your expression, and and we do. Service to others and to the community in general, regardless of whether or not uh, someone is a member of the church, is is a guiding principle. We're always looking to seek out the poor and the needy and to and to help. Uh, your question regarding uh, the way you phrased it of we seek to help and look to help everyone in the same way we're looking to change. And I would I would use just a little bit. I would use a different word than change. We are seeking. I know on my mission. We are seeking to find those who have a desire to know more, to take what they have, the knowledge that they have, and then learn more about what has been revealed. And an important part of this, as I started with Joseph Smith, is that since Joseph Smith, just like the prophets of old, Moses, etc., that uh, there are prophets on the earth today who continue to reveal to us the will of Heavenly Father. And his plan, what we refer to as the plan of salvation or the plan of happiness, plan of redemption, that teaches us where we came from, why we're here on earth, and where, we, where we're going to go after we die. And so our desire is, is not to take away things from people, but instead to add knowledge and simply to share that knowledge and then invite a person if they uh, to pray and to know for themselves by receiving the feeling of truth from the Holy Ghost about whether or not what we're teaching is true. Does that help explain that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. It's just that, you know, I know that, for example, in your past, there were some deep controversies over some practices of the church to uh, even convert post-mortem uh, members of the Jewish faith uh, to um, to Mormonism, um, and I know and my understanding is that that has been discontinued for many many years. Um, and and I, I, coming from a tradition that we don't proselytize, I am wondering uh, what what inspires you to go out and uh, and proselytize and and what what. what what is it within yourself that makes you want to do that? What a great question. We have been taught by the Savior that we are to take the gospel to all the world. So that, I would tell you, is the, is the main reason. We feel that we're following the teachings of Jesus Christ by going out and teaching others. Uh, and to address uh, and to comment on uh, your, your talk about the, uh, the temple ordinances of uh, specifically baptisms for the dead. You are absolutely right that that is a practice and, uh, and was a practice and, and continues to be for uh, ancestors of members of the church. And so, uh, and, and in that practice, it helps to understand a little bit uh, what uh, our beliefs on what happens after death. We believe that when you die, the, uh, your, your spirit goes to what is called the spirit world. And there, for those who have already been taught the gospel and have chosen to live righteously, they are organized to be able to go and teach others. 
similar to what we do here on earth with our missionaries of going and, and teaching uh, throughout the world. Uh, and then those who maybe never have heard uh, about Jesus Christ or, the, or God or even of religion, uh, they have an opportunity there to be taught. Now, just like we are taught here on earth that in order to follow Jesus Christ, we need to participate in ordinances like baptism and then further ordinances in the temple. We also then would have an opportunity and the people there in the spirit world need to have the opportunity to participate in those same ordinances. And so those ordinances are done in the temple for those who are dead vicariously. However, it is completely up to the agency of the person in the spirit world whether to accept that ordinance or not. It is not something that then we feel mandates them to accept something that they didn't want. It's very interesting. It's, the more religions are different, the more they are similar on many, many respect. Uh, your tradition is very, very much based, seems to me, on blind faith. Uh, you have a faith that everything that you believe in is absolute truth, which is very similar to many other traditions. How do you reconcile that uh, tension between faith and reason? Yeah, I'm not sure I understand exactly. I, I've heard the term blind faith many times, and I think it's used differently. And I and uh, and so let me just tell you what I understand and how and and answer your question of how do I reconcile uh, faith and reason as a member of the church, and even uh, throughout my life. I have had many opportunities to hear a teaching and to then ask Heavenly Father through prayer, just as Joseph Smith did, if it's true. And I can tell you, uh, and it's, it's tough to explain. It's, I've, heard it, I've heard it said that it's like explaining what the taste of salt is, uh, is that that feeling that comes when the Holy Ghost confirms truth is something I cannot deny. So, for example, in my reading the Book of Mormon, throughout reading it, and especially at the end, and I just had this experience again, I've read the Book of Mormon several times in my life and continue to do so. I read it daily. And just recently with our prophet, President Nelson, inviting us to read the Book of Mormon through all the way again, at the very end of the Book of Mormon, I found myself in our temple and I was in a special room, what we call the celestial room. And uh, I was at the very end of the Book of Mormon. Moroni chapter 10 is the very last chapter. And I read that chapter in the Book of Mormon and then prayed to know again, is this truly the word of God? Is it another testament of Jesus Christ? And received an, uh, an impression that I cannot deny that came from our Heavenly Father through the Holy Ghost, confirming to me that the Book of Mormon truly is the Word of God. And so I look at that and, and I see other things that are of a scientific nature or something maybe that I can prove. And for me, those two things are just as real. So my reason also kicks in and says what I felt is undeniably from God. And it continues to bless my life. The evidence of what I believe is so wonderful and has blessed my life, has blessed my family's life in such marvelous ways 
that I continue to see how uh, it is indeed truth. I have a question for both of you as the awkward anthropologist in the room, and one who, by the way, I think is quite relevant, I should add. I was born in Loma Linda, California, and raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church community, a Protestant offshoot that has its roots in New England in the early 1800s. I find it interesting. So let me put this to both of you. Rabbi Bayo, the Torah was given to the Jewish people by Moses 3,300 years ago, something like that. I'm not a Jewish scholar, forgive me. The prophet Muhammad began to receive his revelations in the, the 630, he died in 632. That was the final recitation that led to the Quran, it was written down later. Craig Cardin has talked about Joseph Smith and the Golden Plates in the 1820s. My own historical community, I'm not an active participant in it, believe that Ellen White began to receive revelation from God in the 1840s and so on. So we have a wide variety of traditions and communities here that trace themselves, in many cases, share a view of that original revelation, if you will. Not sure if that's the word that's used in the Jewish tradition, Rabbi, but in any case, look back to the same source, that original covenant between Abraham and God, and they've taken it in several different directions. Muslims believe that their revelation is the last of the prophets. Of course, there have been many prophets after that that have spawned many other movements. How do you, both of you, how do you view this multiplicity of expressions and reconcile it with the fact that each one of these traditions of faith believes theirs is the correct one? From my perspective, and I do not claim to speak for the entire Jewish people, I speak from my understanding within the Jewish people, as you know, there are many different approaches and I can speak about all of them, but you asked my personal uh, belief system. So first of all, as you rightly said, we follow the Torah of Moshe. We don't follow the Torah of God. Our tradition is a rabbinical tradition. We don't do what is written in the Torah. We do what our rabbis have taught us for the last 2,000 years that we need to do. And the Torah is our foundational text. But we don't do what is written in the Torah. We do what our rabbis tell us to do. And this is a major difference with every other tradition that you have mentioned. Because in every other tradition, the thought process is that the text that I hold in my hand is the truth from God, undeniable from God, and this is the only truth. In our tradition, in the way that I understand it, and many others naturally, We have a tradition that has been established over the centuries by our rabbis, and it can change, and it did change over time. And that's why we have disagreements among rabbis, and that's okay. And that's why often our approaches may be different between orthodoxy and reform and conservative, because 
we follow rabbis. Nobody claims that what we do is what God wants. What we do is what our rabbis teach us that is the closest that we can get to what God wants because nobody can know what God wants. Let me just add one more line because this is a very, very large topic and very important topic. I always say it's like being in the middle of the desert and you want to reach the oasis. I have a map. I have a map that was drawn over experience over 2,500 years. Is it the only way to reach the oasis? No. You can reach the oasis also without a map. You can be very, very good and reach it without. And you may have a different map. Maybe your map is has some mistakes. Or maybe it doesn't have mistakes. I don't know. But I have my map. And I'll follow my map. And maybe you have your map. The Ultimately, we all want to reach the oasis. That's a very powerful metaphor. Certainly, the history of Christianity has seen tension around this key issue you raised, Rabbi, between whether or not one's relationship with God is mediated by religious authorities or whether it's direct. And certainly, the, even the emergence of, of Protestantism was on this key question. There are also schools of Islamic law that would say that you have this mediation versus others that would say you have direct. Go ahead. The rabbis are not mediators. No, no, no. Your relationship with God is direct between you and God. The rabbis tell you what to do. Because ours is a religion of doing more than a religion of faith. That's a very helpful clarification. In our religion, one of our major texts is the Shema, where it says, love your God with all your heart, with all your might, in the morning when you go to sleep, etc., etc. Now, what does that mean? Then I need to meditate? Do I need to go in the middle of the forest or the mountains here in Arizona and meditate? No, it's about what I do. As an example that I bring, and then I would love to hear President Cardin answer, I always say, when parents want to show love for their kids, they don't tell their kids, honey, I love you dearly. I love you with all my heart. I'm going to go out in the desert and meditate about it. I'm going to go out in the mountain and really think deeply how much I love you. And I really, really love you. In the meantime, if we were to do this with our kids, they would die starving. What do we do? How do we show that we love our kids? We wake up early in the morning and we go to work and we work maybe one jobs or two jobs or three jobs and we don't sleep at night and we have nightmares and we go through challenges through life. That is how we show that we love them. Not by necessarily, yes, also hugging and kissing, but it's the hard work that we do that really shows our kids that we love them. President Cardin, many prophets, many revelations, many sacred texts. How do you view this array of religious expression and your position within it? Well, first, let me say I, I love the Jewish uh, tradition and the way that the rabbi answered that question. Uh, what a beautiful, what a beautiful, uh, I, want, I keep wanting to say faith, but uh, what a beautiful <laughs> religion and tradition it is. 
practice is a word I find Thank you. for myself when I'm trying to describe things of that nature, where he's speaking about actions in the world, practices. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That's a great word for it. To, our under, to, to help with our understanding of answering that question, it helps to start with understanding why we're here on earth. And to do that, you have to understand a little bit of where we came from. And so when we were in heaven, before we came here to earth and were born, we were intelligences with our heavenly father. And he taught us what he called the plan of salvation. And in that plan, the savior, Jesus Christ, plays a central role. He uh, was going to come to the earth, live a perfect life, and sacrifice himself so that if we or when we all make mistakes, we could repent and become again like our Heavenly Father. And so that plan was presented to us. And when that plan was presented, there was also another plan presented by who we now call Satan. And he said, I'll make sure everyone gets back, but they're not going to have any agency. And I, Satan, want all the glory. And so when those plans were presented, one-third of us who were there, one-third of the children of our Heavenly Father chose Satan's plan. And the remaining two-thirds said, I'll go to earth and I'll be tried. And so the purpose of coming to earth for those who chose to follow Heavenly Father's plan was basically on its most basic form twofold. Number one, to receive a body because we needed to receive a body to become like our Savior and our Heavenly Father. And then second, to uh, be tried, to learn right from wrong and to choose what is right. And so whenever I hear of people who are faithful, I've got to tell you, it brings me so much joy, regardless of the religion. Uh, I am, am thankful that there are those throughout the world who continue to have a belief in a higher being. And so when I, when I uh, am talking to you, gentlemen, as well as, uh, as to others, I, boy, I just feel strengthened being around you and, and am hopeful for our future generations. Um, again, as, as we, uh, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we also find great joy in what we have learned and our understanding that there is a prophet on the earth today who can teach us how to find the greatest joy to do the will of our Heavenly Father. And it takes many expressions and actions of faith. Faith is both belief and action. And so, and our, 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 the Savior taught when he was on the earth, if he loved me, keep my commandments. And so in its purest form, when we're doing what we can to keep the commandments of God, and doing it under our best understanding, we are showing our love to Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. We're also promised many blessings. And uh, although I would, I would suggest uh, possibly a lower form of, uh, of a reason to do something, there are blessings that come with following uh, the commandments and doing what we're taught. And so as we as we go throughout the world and, and continue to teach the gospel, we are trying to add the joy, teach the joy that we find in the gospel of Jesus Christ and knowing that there is a prophet on the earth today who teaches what Heavenly Father would have us know. President Carter, let me ask you a question. You speak a lot about faith and it's beautiful to hear your 
faith that you have in, in your religion and in, in, in what you believe in. Um, and I agree with you that um, the world would be a, maybe a better place if more people <laughs> believed in, in, in certain values. But let me ask you, would you say that there is a difference between faith in God and trust in God? I'll admit, I don't know that I've thought in those terms right up front, but I, is there a difference? I, in my mind, those two definitely correlate. Okay. So how do you view, you know, uh, the American dollar is, I think, the only currency in the world that has a statement that says, in God we trust. What, what do you make of that? I would make that, the, that America was founded on Judeo-Christian values, and that so in an attempt to honor those values, that was placed on our currency, similar to our saying, uh, under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. No, it's very interesting. America is one of uh, the democracies that is the most, that, that its people are most observed religious in one way or another. I don't know of many other democracies, uh, liberal democracies, that there is such a huge linkage between faith and government than, uh, in, the, you know, in America where such a deep religious st statement like in God we trust is on the dollar, on, on the bill. Um, the way that I've always seen it is that trust is about doing and faith is more a, a cerebral concept. And, and I would like to understand from your point of view, I know that one of the differences between your faith and other Christian faiths is the doing. You have a lot of similarities in this to Judaism that in your faith, there are certain foods that you're not allowed to eat. There are certain drinks you're not allowed to drink. There are certain clothes that you have to wear. Could you speak about that a little bit? Yes, certainly. I'll, uh, I'll start with a different example of, of tithing. So as I mentioned, faith is both action and belief. And tithing is a great example of that because you could, we are asked to pay 10% of our earnings, of our income to the church. And it's with those funds that then these church buildings are built and temples are built. And uh, even that the, the poor and needy are cared for, although there are even other uh, opportunities and to invest, to, uh, to contribute to the poor and needy. But through that faith of that action, we are showing, again, our Heavenly Father that we love Him. Now, you brought up the example of the word of wisdom, which is the health, uh, maybe called a code of health, of uh, eating good foods for us, fruits, nuts, staying away from things that are, that are harmful. Uh, and, uh, and so with that, We feel that, again, it's a commandment from God, but for our blessing. And we exercise faith that we will be blessed with health as we keep that commandment. You also brought up the, the special clothes that we wear, the garments uh, that, that we receive when we go to the temple uh, and that we're then authorized to wear. Like a, you know, I've, I, I've heard it explained, like a wedding ring that you wear to remind you of the vows and promises you made when you were married to your spouse. Garments are a representation that remind us every day, 
as we put them on and as we wear them throughout the day, uh, that of the covenants that we've made with God and to remain true to those covenants. Allow me, I know that we have just a few minutes left and allow me, and please, uh, I hope that you don't get upset with me, uh, to ask a heretic question. And this is a question that I have asked myself many, many times over the years. And the question goes like this. What if everything that I was taught was not true? What if I, I were to receive today a, let's call it a revelation, a, a eureka moment where I were to know 100% that everything that I had been taught about my religion was fabricated by somebody? Would I still behave according to my tradition? Allow me to ask you the same question. Rabbi, thank you for that question. I, uh, I appreciate it. In fact, I believe it's very relevant because I believe that there are, I know that there are people who have experienced similar feelings. And asking for me personally, it's tough to know without going through that specific, going through those specific feelings. But I can tell you this, I know that the way that I have lived has absolutely blessed my life and blessed me to be a better husband, a better father, a better businessman. Uh, as you know, this is a lay ministry where yes, where uh, this is something I do on the side, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, often can take a lot of time, but, uh, <laughs> but it is a great blessing to me and it has blessed my family. And so without actually being in those circumstances, but knowing others who have had maybe a, a, a question of faith to where they uh, have decided to pull back in, in the case from our church somewhat. Uh, I can tell you they are still dear friends and there are many uh, faith slash traditions that they continue because they've seen how it blesses their life. And so with that, I, again, it's difficult to say without being in the circumstance But I can tell you, this has been such a blessing to my life. It, I feel like it's a pure and wonderful way to live, that it would be very tough for me to do away with those practices. Thank you for your candor. And I appreciate very much what you're saying, because I think that ultimately boils down to something that I share with you very much, which is certain practices and certain practices that make us hopefully better human beings, better husbands, better friends, better leaders, better members of our community, which all of these practices also help us create a wonderful community. And I have to say that I have had the pleasure of being welcomed in your services and churches and places of worships. And, I've, and I had the honor and pleasure of meeting many members of your community and you have wonderful communities. Allow me to say another heretic statement. Uh, if my, uh, somebody very dear to me said, if they do not believe in Jesus, I would become a Mormon. <laughs> 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 Please take it uh, with, with a good intention that it comes from. <laughs> you can't see me, but I have a great smile. <laughs> <laughs> Because, um, again, uh, you are able to create wonderful communities and wonderful families. 
And that, I think, ultimately is what God wants. Rabbi, thank you. I, you have been very complimentary. And let me tell you that we have felt evidenced by even here today that I'm here with you today. This is at your invitation. And what a, what a great and, and sweet experience this is. And we have felt even a great uh, just love and kindness from you as well. So thank you and from your community. Thank you very, very much. And hopefully once this pandemic goes away, we'll be able to get together again and, and create fellowship again. I look forward to that day. Craig Carden is stake president, the Queen Creek, Arizona, West Stake of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Rabbi Michael Bayo, CEO of the East Valley Jewish Community Center. Thank you both for an enriching and inspiring conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Conversation with the Rabbi on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at conversationwiththerabbi.com. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening, and please join us for the next Conversation with the Rabbi.